0: Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined here with me by Brian Gottlieb, who has a Fandom Legends Tournament coming up. And overall, I think this is just a good time to be alive. We got uh, Throne of Eldraine dropping on Arena. We'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. And we just witnessed the streamer showcase events on Magic Arena. Is that the correct branding? I'm actually not sure.
1: That does sound... Correct to me. It Whatever. It doesn't matter what we call it. People know what we're talking about. We just saw our first look at actual Throne of Eldraine games. Theory time is over. Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> for sure. I don't know about you, Jerry, but I am like exhausted in the best way possible. I have just been making decks like 10 hours a day and watching and absorbing every possible thing I can about this format. It's really, really capturing my attention the deck building phase that phase of like limitless possibilities where there's no restrictions whatsoever it feels really big for this set and i've explored so many cool ideas and i know uh you posted a bunch of our decks over on arenadecklist.gg our new website kind of new it's more of a, a relaunch than anything else but uh just tons of decks from both of us. I think we had like 30 decks that we had put together and we had a bunch of yeoman's decks in the article and you just see how much fruit there is in this set. How much stuff for us to mine.
0: Yeah. uh, I added some additional decks there too. And I have a bunch of like work in progress stuff that I'm not quite done with. And same, I agree with you as far as the, the being exhausted nature of it. We both went pretty hard during the streamer events, not playing ourselves, but For me, I had like 15 Twitch streams open at all times, just like watching uh, what decks people were playing, what they were playing against, taking some notes, and just getting to see the cards in play.
1: Yeah, 15 streams was my limit as well. 15 streams across two monitors. Multi-Twitch is your best friend come the streamer showcase. And I, I just want to take a second. This is like a weird, cheesy thing to talk about. But one of the cool things when I had all these streams in front of me at the same time was how many smiles there were like just across all my screens. Just it was 24 people absolutely delighted by what they're experiencing and what was going on. And you saw it over and over just like oh, yeah. animated expressions and people just really jazzed about the set. And it was cool to see that kind of impact. Cause generally you don't see that much at the same time, right? You see like one moment of happiness from one streamer. But when I had all these streams open at once, I was just seeing smile after smile after smile. And it was a really cool thing to see.
0: It's, it's like being a kid on Christmas yeah, it's it's the exact same thing. You have all these new toys that you get to play with. Everything's super fun and exciting. And I, th- I think that's going to continue for the next couple of weeks. I definitely agree with you that there's a lot of stuff to unpack with this set. And I, I think it this could end up being one of the formats where there's a clear best deck. But we haven't found it yet. And it, it might not be found. You know, it could also just be like a cat. thing that shows up maybe towards the end or doesn't get found at all. But like there's a bunch of very powerful like engine-y type cards in this format now and they they all seem fairly powerful and on the same power level too. And there's just like a bunch of good aggro decks. Uh, Maybe Control doesn't necessarily have the tools, but I'm kind of okay with that. And I I think this set is going to keep us busy for a while.
1: There's just so many late games, so many diverse late games that you can employ and... A lot of them are very good. A lot of the times there's like a singular late game that trumps everything else. And either you have that late game or you don't. For the last couple of years, it's mostly been Nexus of Fate. Right. You can make some argument that like Field of the Dead also occupied that role to some extent, but it squeezed out a lot of stuff. You couldn't do things like Flood of Tears that you and I were very excited about when we were doing our uh m20 brewing because nexus was just better and it squeezed everything out i think the end games are getting more in line with each other at this stage there's a lot of really really powerful ones but it doesn't feel like one has a huge edge right now maybe that changes as we optimize technology and figures things figure things out a little bit more and also once people start interacting because when you get to do everything everything's good, but as soon as people start putting their foot down and make you work for it a little bit, uh, something's going to be better than the other options, I think.
0: Right, so let's let's talk about the no interaction thing, because as cool as this event was, it was best of one, and maybe this is unique to Throne of Eldraine in general, but because there are all these engine cards and all these build-arounds, it just seemed like people were building their, their deck like the most streamlined that they could without being like, oh, well, I need to play like six removal spells to show up my aggro matchup, or I need to be able to play disenchant to break up the other engines or whatever. And the gameplay was very reminiscent of modern where it was just two ships right. passing in the night a lot of the time.
1: No, I think that's exactly right. But also while that's a flaw in deck building and one that will eventually have to be addressed, I think it makes a lot of sense for day one. Like you just need to know what these cards are capable of. And then you say, okay, this is real. How do I scale off this? How do I protect this? How do I make this actually always do its thing? How do I ensure I reach the point where this engine is good enough? Because step one is making sure the engine is actually valid and can do the things you expect it to do. And I think a lot of engines showed up as valid inclusions to this format.
0: I agree with all that. And that's typically the way that I will start testing for an event. It's just very strange in that if I join a queue with some engine-based deck, you can expect to play against like a control deck, a mid-range deck, an aggro deck, right? And that wasn't necessarily the case because everyone was doing different engine-y things. So you don't necessarily get a good feel for you know, what turn the aggro decks are killing you or what sort of disruption you need to fight through against mid range, how you actually break through a control decks counter wall or whatever. And it was just like, okay, the, these engine decks got tuned and refined over the course of the day, but they're, they're still not tournament ready by any means.
1: Yeah. I think that's spot on. And it's funny because like, if you go back a bunch of years, I think you could just have, the good engine on week one, like figure out which engine is better and win a tournament that way. I think that was enough. And I, I think specifically back to when I built like the Abzan rights deck, the the Unburial Rights deck, way, way back in what was that, return to Ravnica maybe? Yeah. But like I had that deck week one. It had no interaction. All it did was reanimate Angel of Serenity. And I realized that was better than everything else. Everyone was doing like a bunch of people were doing unburial right stuff, but they had gristlebrands. And Gristle Brand was actually pretty bad and a bit of a joke. So once you had Restoration Angel and Thrag Test, you had like this really efficient engine that just overwhelmed what everyone else was doing. And just figuring that out was enough then. There's no way just figuring that out is going to be enough. I, I mean, I'm not even talking like week one SCG Philadelphia. I'm talking tomorrow when I play Fandom Legends. I don't think just showing up with the best engine is really going to catch anyone by surprise. Things move so much faster now.
0: Yeah, I agree with that completely. I will say that Resto Thrag Tusk, especially with unbearable rights to back it up, was good enough interaction against a lot of the decks in the format.
1: No, that's a good point.
0: And even, even Angel of Serenity too, you know? And and no one was really playing Graveyard Hate. We haven't lived in a standard world where people feel the necessity to play things like Graf Digger's Cage or Leyline of the Void or whatever. That might change, you know, especially with this set being how it is. But yeah, for the most part, those things are going to be safe. And if you have that interaction kind of built in, it's great.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right.
0: So we have a list of cards, uh, some stuff that moved up in our power rankings from actually seeing them in play and seeing the decks that they were built around and iterating on things ourselves. And then there are th- some things that were just pretty big disappointments, too. So I think we should start with the up stuff, the things that have moved up in our rankings, and then we'll we'll end on the down note. How's that sound?
1: Sure. We'll get the positivity flowing first, and then we'll temper expectations a little bit as we hit the end of the podcast.
0: Yeah, so these these are things that might not be tier one, but definitely moved from our rankings of like, well, maybe this sees play at some point to this is almost certainly going to see play. I think that's a fair assessment. hmm Okay, so th- the first one I want to talk about is Fires of Invention. If it's free, it's me, Brian. Why was this not on either of our lists?
1: Because we're idiots. Like, we're just stone idiots. There's no excuse for not having this card on our top 10 list. It gives you... 2x hearthstone mana basically instantly doubling your mana production is pretty absurd it's essentially free because like you said you get to just immediately deploy a four drop after you play your fire's invention and i just don't have an excuse for ignoring this card i really don't know quite what i was thinking especially when you go back to like wilderness reclamation and I won't shut up about how impactful it is to double your mana. And that was my number one card in the set. I I generally know what these effects are worth. And then we come around to fires and it just doesn't make my top 10 list for some reason. Maybe we should still read the cards, Jerry. I, I think we're still in that period where people are getting used to card names. I wouldn't mind at all if we read this out.
0: Fires of Invention, three are enchantment. You can cast spells only during your turn and you can cast no more than two spells each turn. You may cast spells with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control without paying their mana costs. So, Brian's description is incredibly accurate. I saw a meme that was like, you can't Teferi me if I Teferi you first, or if I Teferi myself first, which is kind of funny. Especially since people are playing Teferi Time Raveler in combination with this card, which... Might seem like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but at some point you can just use Teferi to bounce this uh, after you've cast your two free spells, and then you get to make use of your, you know, six to eight mana that you have lying around too, and you just pull very, very far ahead. Uh, Other things you can do with this card are just general rampy things, like Arboreal Grazer has shown up in so many of my decks, and I'm so mad because... I know it's the card that the decks want and it's just like such a bad card in general, but it is, it just, it puts a land on the battlefield, man. You get, you play 26 dead, 28 lands, maybe more. And when you cast fires, you want as many lands on the battlefield as possible, depending on what you're trying to do. And you also want a bunch of activated abilities, things like Cavalier of Flame. uh, Kenrith is another one. Both of those give all your creatures haste also. Yep building around this card is very difficult and that is kind of why it didn't make my list. It's like oh I read this and I don't know man when dating back to like 2014 when I came back from Wizards I was like just dead set on I want to participate in tournament magic again and I want to do things right. I know that there is A laundry list of things that I have been doing very poorly, and especially during preview season, it was like I would single out the cards that I liked and wanted to build around and then kind of ignore everything else. Mm. But especially like 2014, 15, 16, around that era, I wanted to find everything that was good, even if it didn't appeal to me. And since then, I've kind of backslid to the point where I see something like fires and it's like, yeah, that's probably powerful. I assume that if it's busted, I will read something about it and then I can change my opinion on it. And that's kind of what happened with experimental frenzy, too. And just, you know, for whatever reason, this is this is me just saying out loud so that my brain kind of remembers this where I need to actually focus on this stuff more.
1: Uh, yeah. I, look, there's a lesson to be learned in every preview season. There's always something where our focus slips. And I think there's like some light, playful memeing about our top 10 lists at this point and how they often just have a glaring mistake, something that should have been there that isn't. And it's just like if this was easy, you wouldn't bother doing it. Like It's it's so hard to find all of these things and figure out exactly what you're supposed to maximize. And you read something once and it just hits you the wrong way and maybe you move past it. I think I recovered in time with Fires of Invention to get some cool stuff out there. A lot of people playing my five color Niv-Mizzet tech yesterday. Not only does Fires ramp you but it also fixes your mana actually so you're able to just cast whatever you want I had fay of wishes to go to my wish board and grab literally any possible card across any of the five colors there was like a casualties of war and emergency powers and it was all kind of silly but it also won a lot like people were just winning a lot with the deck and that was emphasizing despite the fact that this idea was ambitious and the mana was not good and a lot of this didn't quite come together there's just a lot of inherent power in fires i've mentioned and that's one way to maximize it just play cards that are absolutely off the power uh, level spectrum the other way is something you mentioned making sure you have other uses for your mana on your turn or kind of circumventing the restriction that you only get two things to do on every turn because that's how fires is weakened right like if you can only do two things sometimes that's not enough to catch up and one of the decks I got real excited about over the last couple of days is just Jeskai walkers with fire of invention. And when you have planeswalkers on the battlefield, you're again, breaking that rule of you only get to do two things because now you have three or four Planeswalker activations. So you're killing something with Ugin and you're bouncing something with Teferi and you're attacking for 16 because you're plussing your Sarkin and the game just spirals out of control so, so quickly when you're getting both the mana upside and retaining your ability to interact with the game state uh, beyond those two spells per turn.
0: Right, and in the Planeswalker shell, it's especially incredible because... A lot of the time, you're just playing one spell per turn anyway. You know, you're like, on turn four, you play your four mana walker. On turn five, you play your five mana walker. This allows you to play a walker and do something else. And it basically doesn't cost you mana if you're doing something else on turn four alongside it. So if you are playing some sort of Super Friends deck, this card should almost certainly be in it.
1: Yeah, I was very impressed by the Jeskai walker's deck which maybe makes it somewhat surprising, I chose not to play it. I think it has some end game flaws where it doesn't get quite big enough. And yep. I think, again, I didn't quite have the sideboard figured out. And like I said, again, this was a fay of wishes approach I used. Maybe that's incorrect. Maybe you're just supposed to maximize fires. I would listen to that argument. But I know that I didn't have the perfect wishboard. And when you're playing a deck with a wishboard, you're just like, okay, if I have this card, I can win this game. But I didn't, so I lost. And if you don't have that perfectly figured out, if you don't know exactly what you need in every situation, it's really hard to put together a promising wishboard. And I didn't think I was quite ready for a week, really week zero tournament to to bust out the Jeskai Walkers list.
0: Yeah, and that's legit. I mean, it'll... I want to say it's going to be one of the decks that I try out but like realistically there are 30 decks I want to try out so we'll sure. we'll actually see what happens you know but Fires is definitely one of the cards that is up there as far as power level and things that you are able to do in the format you know the ceiling on this card is so high
1: yeah, and VTCLA had like a big red list that I really liked the look of. I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of ground to explore with this card. We're nowhere near done with it yet. And that's to say nothing of like, uh, this might be modern playable in a few shells, quite frankly. The thing I think everyone is doing presently is like free spells, because that's what we do when we get one of these cards. And I'm talking about the time spiral spells with no converted mana cost. But there's probably other things you can do with Fires of Invention in modern that will prove to be quite powerful.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is more copies of As Told. Right. And granted, it costs four mana. That's obviously a downside in Modern. But I do think that every set, man, we just get more cards that go in those sort of archetypes, right? It's like Dreadhorde Arcanist, Finale of Promise, Collected Conjuring, Mm -hmm. etc. And at some point, these decks are going to be legit.
1: Yeah, I, I had a restore balance list in my article this week that I thought was completely reasonable. And I think the decks are just getting to that point where they're they're starting to do broken things like mind twisting your opponent on turn one is on the table. Just incredible bursts of card advantage and value. All things these decks can do right now. And they're getting consistent because it used to be, oh, I didn't draw my ass for told my deck does stone nothing. A lot of options now. you can You can find a lot of ways to get the job done.
0: Yeah, uh this this card is kind of my my number one to work on and it's it's so hard because I I did not get to play any games, right? So it was mostly confined to watching other people do things and they were doing things like big red where it's like okay, that's cute, you know, your your mana base is pretty good, uh you're you're playing escape to the wilds, which also works pretty well with this card, but the same problem is inherent with Jeskai planeswalkers where you're not really going big enough. Mm-hmm. So there are some problems to solve that you can't necessarily solve without just playing games. But that's that's where I'm going to be, I think, on day one of the ladder.
1: Sure, just a couple hours away now.
0: Really? Well, kind of. I mean, it happens Thursday
1: morning, right? We're we're less than 24 hours away.
0: So. Okay, okay, because I I was worried because I have to write an article tonight, and no,
1: if, no, it's not tonight. You're safe.
0: If that happened, it's just like oh, okay, I'm yeah. I'm done.
1: Yeah, I think, I think so fandom starts at 11 Pacific time tomorrow morning, I believe. I think we are anticipating it to come up like an hour before that top. So I have to go buy a bunch of cards and build my deck real fast. <laughs> It'll be a bit of a hustle.
0: Okay, um, hey, that's kind of awkward.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tight window. But look, everyone involved in the tournament is like going to go out and buy every Eldrain card immediately anyway. We could pretend like there's an actual squeeze, but I was go I was doing this regardless. It really doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh next card. Iron Craig Pyromancer. Two R04 Wizard something. I'm I'm doing this from memory. Uh, yeah, this whenever, all sounds right. Whenever you draw your second card of the turn, this deals three damage to any target.
1: Nailed it. Nailed it. And that's both turns. So yes. uh I think maybe that was like the thing I didn't quite process. And also we got Thrill of Possibility very late in the whole yep. uh rigmarole. And I think that is a huge boon for Iron Pyromancer. And this stuff works. This this draw two stuff. I've seen folks go really hard on it with like the enchantment that makes birds whenever you draw two. I think that was a Zachary Keeney thing that he was working on. And that deck looked cool. Uh, I don't know that you have to go that hard. I've just been playing this card in like my Phoenix decks and Phoenix has been a little underwhelming. I think like that archetype will shift to a blue, red tempo-ish thing based around Brazen Borrower and maybe Dreadhorde Arcanist and the Royal Scions and you mush all that stuff together and you start getting something real promising. Royal Scions is a card that plays very, very well with pyromancer, but there's a lot of cards that play well with this. And once you have it on the battlefield and it starts doing its thing, you will immediately recognize how powerful it is.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like you, you see it on the battlefield for the first time. And then obviously it takes a little bit to get going. It's vulnerable. It's like an enchantment that dies to things, you know, more cards that are readily played and it does block a little bit, but it's not even like, you know, picking off the Scorch Spitters for Mono Red or whatever. Like, O4 is really not that great of a body. There are so many Wall of Lost Thoughts and Merfolk Secret Keepers and stuff like that that uh, people that have played with those cards know that you basically just sack them to Witch's Oven, right? Like, they're not really accomplishing a whole lot. You untap with this the first time. You probably get to Lightning Bolt something. Maybe it's as simple as playing Royal Scions or Crackling Drake, or maybe you play a cantrip, but like the turns where you get to like play the second one and then cast an opt, or you get to draw a second card on your turn and then thrill on their turn and get another activation out of it. It just spirals out of control so fast and it clocks them too. And it, you know, picks off a bunch of planeswalkers and stuff like this. This card is legitimately good. And I think that Arclight Phoenix lost a a bunch of very relevant stuff. Where uh, course was the best enabler, yeah, you still have Tormenting Voice, but things like Merchant of the Veil are just not good enough, and even light Phoenix itself doesn't seem like it's good enough. And it also seems like there's sort of like this conscious effort to remove sorcery from a lot of the cards, so that Finale of Promise is not really playable in this archetype anymore
1: either. Right. Right. Something I learned very quickly. I had a copy in my initial build and then I looked and I'm like, oh, I can't do anything with this. This was very silly. Yeah. One thing I want to point out, you can get immediate value from this. Turn one, Op. Turn two, dread Dreadhorde Arcanist. Turn three, Pyromancer. That's really cool. I've had that happen a lot. That's not really all that uncommon. There's also just the play of I play this on turn four and opt, and unless they kill it in response, I get immediate value out of it. And like any target means you're killing something else. So you're getting like a two-for-one removal spell right away. It's just been impressive. It's been impressive on the battlefield. And to your point, saying 04 doesn't matter all that much, I actually think four toughness is a reasonable break point For this format, it dodges some of the commonly played removal, not all, but some, and it blocks three power things out of the Knight's deck very effectively, which is a pretty important source of damage mitigation. It dodges Oath of Kaya. It dodges the, what's the dragon something removal spell called? Yes, Scorching Dragonfire or whatever. Scorching Dragonfire, Bonecrusher Giant doesn't touch it. so I actually think it does a nice job of dodging some of the commonly played stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's been much better than I expected.
0: It, it does, but then
1: when you start blocking with it, then it becomes vulnerable very quickly.
0: Right. So it, it's like, oh, O4 is relevant because it blocks. O4 is relevant because it dodges removal. Well, like the, those two things, if you're trying to use them both at the same time, you know, it doesn't really work. But obviously, you get to pick and choose those situations in game and everything. And you can choose to block with it after you've getting, gotten some value out of it and everything. I kind of went a different way with. The Is it draw to stuff where I built a more controlling deck that had a, a really robust late game with okay. with just like Niv-Mizzet and triggering these a bunch of times and the enchantment that makes fairies that I can never remember the name of alongside Castle breath
1: also can't remember the name of it. Red, blue enchantment. I'm going to find it. We'll get the name right because we're still in that stage where I think it's important. Improbable Alliance. Blue, red enchantment. Whenever you draw your second card, each turn create a 1-1 blue fairy creature token with flying. Six mana, four of it colorless. Blue, red. Draw a card, then discard a card. I'm lower on this card. I see a lot of people building around it. And when it goes off, it feels really nice. I don't think I think this is a bad card. I don't think you have to play bad cards in this deck. I think there's enough good options where you can pass an improbable alliance.
0: That is entirely possible. I I don't think it's even really that good as a sideboard card, but mm-hmm. it just seems like either the format is about this thing or it's not. And then if the format is not about this thing to the point where you don't want to main deck it, then if you're playing against some control deck where you want this hard to kill thing it's like, I'd rather just like load up on counter spells, card drawing, Legion war boss, stuff like that, uh, because this is kind of low impact. But if if you want this to be your plan one, like your plan A, I'm totally down with that. And the reason I started building around with four was because the interaction with the castle on
1: breath. Yeah, it definitely scales much better in multiples for sure.
0: It just seems so low opportunity cost to play this on turn two, because you're going to be able to trigger this at least once per turn for the rest of the game. So It's not Bitter Blossom. Actual Bitter Blossom, if it existed, would not be very good because the power level is so much higher now than it used to be back in the day. And you kind of see that in modern, right? But even even if this is Bitter Blossom, you know, if it's just blue-red enchantment, make a 1-1 every turn, I'm not sure that you would play that necessarily. But there are turns where you get to double-trigger this and... Depending on what you're building towards, if it is this big like Niv Mizzet late game plan or whatever, obviously having some some blockers helps you get there and everything. So, sure, I I want to try this first and then dismiss it, not the other way around.
1: No, that's that's the right approach to take. I get it, and uh, I th- I think that's a healthy attitude. Just see what works. Don't disbelieve anything because you close yourself off to a lot of possibilities by doing so.
0: Right. Uh, Pyromancer is the the card. That is the card that we want to build around. There's a lot of different ways to do that. And it makes the most sense to me in a control deck because you will not run out of gas and you'll play things like Nimizit And I have a single copy of Chemister's Insight and things like that. Whereas like Dreadhorde, Arcanist, Unsummon, Beatdown, might just run out of gas. And then you do actually have Stupid O4 sitting around doing nothing.
1: So the only pressure i'm going to give to that statement is that these adventure cards i don't know that we're going to talk about these cards i don't think they're really on our list because we were already high on them it's hard to run out of gas sometimes like if you have brazen borrower and giant in your deck it feels like you will almost always will have something to do with your mana it's really difficult to find yourself in a spot where you can't produce something. Now, granted, that's not a pyromancer trigger. Right. And
0: that's mostly what I was talking about.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if you have, as long as you have something to invest in, you're generally okay Unsummoned was my solution to a sizing problem. I think these blue-red decks do have a sizing problem. But if you just have four Brazen Bar, or maybe it's not as bad as I think it is, and with Royal Scions in your deck, you can just make your Dreadheart Arcanist hit the reasonable spells and the two-mana Lava Coils and stuff like that you can get back. So uh, I've I've been very impressed with those two cards together, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think the sort of deck you're talking about probably has like two unsummons, not the three that you started with. Mm -hmm. And even that might be too high. But I I agree that that's a a problem that seems to exist on the surface. But yeah, with with the cards we already have, it might just be kind of solved.
1: Right. Could be. All
0: right. Next up is the questing beast. They of many, many keywords. And I'm going to scroll and find this. And same deal as last time. If you want to take a bathroom break because you know what this card does, by all means, do that. When you come back, I'll still probably be reading cards on this, or words on this. Uh, 2BB, 4-4, Legendary Creature Beast, Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste. This can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or less. Combat damage that will be dealt by creatures you control can't be prevented. We didn't talk about this last time, but it does shut off protection from stuff. Uh, Whenever Questing Beast deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker that player controls. Uh, this, This card looked good.
1: It did. And I, I mean, I didn't expect anything. It just has so many words on it. Like, obviously this card is pushed. It's meant to look good. Was there something surprising about how good this card looked to you? Or was it just like, Oh, this is what a four, four haste that can obliterate planeswalkers means to these battlefields. And you needed to see it in practice before you really could uh, assess that because Kanye and I played a game the other night. I, I, Skyped into his stream and was commenting on the Jeskai Fires deck, and we played against an opponent who was like four murderous rider, four questing beast, and just every time they had a questing beast, it was like, oh my god, this card is the worst possible thing that could happen to us. We still won because our endgame is broken. We have fires and do nonsensical things, but every time there was a questing beast off the top, it dramatically complicated the game plan.
0: Yeah, just searing blazes your planeswalkers every turn, right? Right. Right so for for me it was like okay four mana four four with haste obviously a bunch of relevant abilities right but it's really tough to gauge how much those are going to have an impact on the various board states that are going to exist and a lot of this is like not seeing the the board states that are common because i haven't played with any of these cards before or whatever so it's like okay like this is above rate it has haste so it doesn't fail the test of like, you know, I play my big four mana thing and it just dies immediately, right? Like whenever you your Rekindling Phoenix got lava coiled or whatever, it was just like, okay, I'm losing, you know? Uh, This doesn't have that problem because of haste. And I don't know, you just see it on these board states where they can't block it, can't block it effectively. Okay,
1: death touch matters a lot here. Vigilance matters a lot here. Yeah. Vigilance was the keyword. I wasn't like fully processing if there was. Yeah. Any-
0: so it it lets you it lets you clock them while still having a thing back, which is huge when you're trying to race against like the Calamity red decks. Right. Mm-hmm. And just any other sort of acro deck. And because it had haste, like it gets bounced with Brazen Borrower or Teferi or whatever, it just it like doesn't really matter that much. You just put them back in the same bad spots. The thing that I will note is that Legendary came up a decent amount for people, because I mean, this card is also like just kind of hard to deal with and they are against trading with it or don't have the option to trade with it, you know, so maybe it's not a four of, maybe it's a three of in a lot of these decks, but some of the fires decks I've been building were just like gruel aggro decks and being able to like fires into this thing and then you know, next turn play like a four drop and a five drop, like Cavalier, Flame, whatever, like is is very powerful.
1: Sounds good to me. Uh, you mentioned archetypes that you really want to explore and you said Fires was high on your list. So I really want to know more about fair questing beast decks. Like, can you build Golgari? Can you build Gruul in such a fashion that It presents this really problematic clock and still has answers for everything else that's going on in the format. Like, can it be the fun, please? I, I think so, too. I don't know what that looks like yet. I think that's something you want to wait on a moment so you have a little bit more of a picture of the metagame. You know exactly what you have to account for. But, like... Look, at some point we're gonna start playing Thrashing Brontodon again, right? Like that's yep. a card that can matter a lot and is basically nowhere near the format right now. And you start combining these under beaters together in a shell with maybe there's goose action going on. Maybe there's not, who knows? I, I think there's a lot of ways to combine these pieces that will properly account for the pressure points of the format. And that's what I really wanna explore in the next couple of weeks.
0: Untitled goose action. <laughs>
1: Yeah, untitled goose action is what we're all about these days. Have have you played the goose game yet? (laughs) No. Um, I've I've just been around it a decent amount. So I
0: I know the game. I know what's going on. If Connor wants to edit in a honking noise after I say untitled (laughs) goose action, he's more
1: than welcome to do that. Just angry honking. Yeah, I I presently am playing the, the Zelda remake. So I haven't gotten any goose action under my belt yet, but soon.
0: I, I started Link's Awakening. I also was playing the crap out of River
1: City Girls. Oh, how's that? It is awesome. Nice. I'll have to if, check that out.
0: Yeah. If you ever played River City Ransom as a trigold, yep th- this game is incredible.
1: You will love it. Cool. I'll, I will definitely check that out then. But anyway, we can get back to our, our titled goose action, I guess. <laughs> right. Oh, one more point on, on Questing Beast. Uh, I don't know how many decks this applies to, but one of the things that... I really came around to when building the Jeskai Walkers deck. And I just blatantly stole this from PV. He spotted it first and talked about it in his article. He was playing Justice Strike as his removal. Uh, Justice Strike seems incredible to me right now. And I don't know how many red white decks there actually are, but it might be one of the best pieces of removal in the format. its I I mean, it's been a long time since we said anything to that effect. It really wasn't too good in the last format. Uh, I think it's very, very good right now.
0: Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you. I, I think it does kill most things that you want it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a little lower on Lava Coil because the Dragonfire card seems really good. But there are definitely things like Questing Beast where if they start showing up, then, you know, you need Justice Strike or you need Coil. You need something like that.
1: Yeah, Justice Strike is cool because it picks off Regisaur, it picks off Questing Beast. Uh, it can even get Night In the right circumstances, uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, if you you time it right once it has Death Touch. So cool stuff you can do with that card.
0: Yeah, Rotting Regisaur is another card that I think is maybe not going to skyrocket in popularity, but it's definitely going to go in more decks than it was last season.
1: Sure, that seems fair.
0: So another thing to be aware of. But yeah, Questing Beast in uh, Gruul or Golgari, I think, is definitely very real because those decks present a clock and a lot of these engine decks were not used to the pressure, man, and uh, Gruul, sure. Spell, Gruul Spellbreaker, Rotting Regisaur, backed up by Questing Beast. These decks also have the Great Henge as a late-game refuel card. Collision Colossus is another thing that just, like, increases the clock by a decent amount and makes... It does, like, the Dark Ritual thing, like it did alongside Galta for the Great Henge, yep. and... Uh, I saw a couple of people playing giant growth in mono green for kind of that same reason and for sure the the two drops Sir GG, because I never remember their actual name.
1: Yeah, that one is Sir, Sir Farron the Hengehammer. Yeah, that one. Yep.
0: These decks have the the clock, they have the late game engine, they have the ability to disrupt the crap out of you too. I think these decks are gonna be very good.
1: I would totally buy that. They have to get over the mana hurdles. the The gruel mana is horrific, but make it work. Go light on your splash, and I think I think there's probably something there.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Once Upon a Time probably solves a lot of those issues. Sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, tell me tell me about Rankle because when we first talked about this card and when it was in the first set of previews, I was pretty high on it. You, I don't know, seemed like. You liked it or at least did not dislike it. Now you love this card. What's going on?
1: Love it. It does everything you want. Uh, It is the core of some very, very good mono black engine stuff. I played a very, well, I didn't actually play anything. I felt like I was playing because I was doing a lot of coaching, uh, some backseat playing. Mono black and... Kanye kind of Best played a bit of it. Uh, Jarvis played a bit of it horribly. I'm sorry, Jarvis. I love you. You you played literally the worst game of Magic I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. It was impressive. And honestly, it's worth going to see. I have declared it my favorite game of Magic of all time because this isn't me like ribbing Jarvis. He literally didn't know what many of the cards did, and it showed in every possible interaction uh, the deck presented. But building around Ayara and Dreadhorde Invasion and... Priest of Forgotten Gods, and Witches Oven and Cauldron Familiar. There's a really, really good mono-black engine deck. And Rankle just answers any problem you could ever possibly find yourself faced with. You restrict your opponent's resources dramatically, you find more gas, and all these cards mush together in this beautiful way that if you negate the downsides for yourself and your deck inherently maximizes them for your opponent, This is one of the strongest magic cards in the set. You have to work for it, but it's very, very good. And I want to see what more traditional homes it might have. Like, I think it was... X-File, who I saw playing this in Esper Hero. Yep. And I thought that was pretty interesting because like, I do think that deck needs to change. I think it needs to take a different tact. And like, there's sacrificial fodder in terms of your tokens, and you're generally pressuring their resources. You're kind of split between being controlling and being aggressive. And Rankle really does everything. It's a very nice bridge for a lot of strategies. Most impressed by the pure Rankle engines, but now I need to move to the next phase- and see what it does as just like, this is a good magic card. Can you deal with it?
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, Rotting registor Spawn of Mayhem, Rankle are just some of the most powerful cards in standard right now. And it like playing some sort of like mono black beat down, leaning aggro-ish control deck, I think is just a reasonable place to start because your card quality, uh, except for, The two drops, the two drops are a little weak, but every other part of the curve is just monstrous.
1: Yeah, what ultimately dissuaded me from registering this deck for fandom was that I wasn't sure which axis I was supposed to be pushing on with my last few slots. I didn't know if I wanted really aggressive cards like Spawn of Mayhem, like maybe Rotting Regisaur, or if I wanted to go more into my engine. I mentioned we're doing like Cauldron Familiar... Which is cauldron shenanigans. And that stuff was really, really good. It just gave you play against everything. Like no matter what kind of battlefield your opponent established, you could find ways around it with these engines, uh, with all the life gain, with all the drain, without combat. It was really impressive. The situations this deck could play itself out of, but I, think once it knows what it has to account for, it will have a clearer idea of its identity. I do think it would have been a fine choice just on power level, though. All these cards are super strong. Uh, Rankle may be foremost among them.
0: Yeah. In Rankle, I mean, you mentioned playing like offense and defense pretty well based on the various choices that it gives you. And it transitions so well into a sideboard plan that has like Disfigure, Cavalier of Night, Finality of Eternity, it, it is just really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, next card that moved up on both of our lists, which is weird because it was number two on my top 10, is the Great
1: Henge. Yeah. Uh, this is another mistake for me. Why don't you go ahead and read the Great Henge before I start talking about it? You have it up?
0: Uh, it costs nine mana, sort of. Seven kind GG. Of. Seven GG Legendary Artifact to Spell costs X less to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Tap, add GG, you gain two life whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it and draw a card.
1: I think what I said at the time was I needed to know why we were doing this, what we were trying to achieve. Who cares? Uh, It doesn't doesn't matter. Exactly. I was completely wrong. Anything. If you can cast this card, you should probably be doing so. The, (laughs) The life gain is... Kind of ridiculous. It's very hard for an aggressive deck to win through if you power this out. You get immediate mana return, and then you just chain through your deck and play like four spells a turn. This card's a slam dunk. And this is one of the things that nobody's accounting for, right? Like people aren't building their decks with this card in mind. So it's able to completely go off and it's got some insulation where I think it will often get good value on the turn it's played. So I think this one can stick through adaptation and people trying to actually beat the Great Henge. But as it stood in day one, people just doing their things, this clearly stood out as one of the the most powerful cards in the entire set. And they were all doing different things, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were like combo
0: decks. There were graveyard decks. There were food decks. There were. You just play this alongside Rotting Regisaur or any of your favorite big green creatures. Just do whatever you want with this thing.
1: Very high percentage chance that you have. If you have green mana in your deck and you're not like a Field of the Dead deck, you're supposed to be playing the Great Henge in most circumstances.
0: There, there's a chance that if you don't have green mana in your deck, you should add it to
1: play this play this card.
0: No, to play this card and some other green cards, you know. But like mono black, for example, right? We're talking about Spawn of Mayhem, Rankle, Rotting Regisaur. It's like, well, maybe yeah. it's better as a green-black deck,
1: you know? Maybe. Maybe uh, double-black is, is tough if you're going to do, like, the engine stuff. But maybe maybe this is your new engine. Maybe you don't have to do uh type stuff. Maybe you're just playing a Regisaur and playing your little black creatures and going off like that.
0: Yeah, I'm completely fine with that. I mean, I love aristocrat stuff, right? But just looking at the power level and how how much the the mono black creatures outsize basically everything else and the fact that you have good removal, you have good disruption. It's just like, I want to play this over mono green, basically. I don't know if I want to play it over Golgari or Gruul, but... Mm. I mean, regardless, like I, I basically don't want to be playing aristocrat stuff because you're just playing the small ball game that like slowly grinds people out. And then if they just play Great Henge, you get buried, right? So why not just do spawn of mayhem stuff and then maybe have the Great Henge on the top end? And that has basically been how all of my green decks are. You know, it's like you you get, put on the early aggression and then you have Great Henge as this thing that makes it so they can't stabilize.
1: There's so, so many decks I want to build right now. I'm almost sad that I'm priced into playing with just one deck during the bulk of my day tomorrow because I have to play fandom because I I just want to know about all these ideas. Uh, Unfortunately, they don't let us do it that way. Just one deck for a tournament. Yeah, it's boring. Well, I wouldn't go as far as boring. (laughs) I, I think it's very interesting to see what comes out on top, but there is certainly a desire to just try a little bit of everything.
0: Well, while you're playing your same boring deck in fandom, I'll be playing a different deck every game on ladder and sending you screenshots of all the fun things I'm doing.
1: I think the deck I have chosen has presented me with enough fun things that I will be able to make it through this one day of playing one deck. I am excited about the deck that I have submitted. So uh, I'll be able to bear the pain. We will
0: see. But also, this is a good transition into the next card, which... Did
1: not really make my
0: up list, but has been referred to as the best deck in standard.
1: By someone who I I think as if you were assigning Magic the Gathering clout rankings right now, obviously Arena deck list near the top, near the very tippy top. But I think the number one slot probably goes to Andre Stroski and he said he believes this to be the best deck in Standard presently. I am talking about Dance of the Mance. Is it Mance? Mancy?
0: I think it's Mance because okay. it, it's it's Mansion, but it's uh, just like this cutesy card that is supposed to rhyme, right? And I do think that Mance is like an old-timey word for Mansion.
1: Well, I just realized that's what was happening here. I haven't put that together. And now that I actually look at the art and see it for what it is and not just a combination of colors... I finally understand what's happening here, but Dance of the Mance is no, X. no, no,
0: no. Hold on, hold on. I, I gotta, I gotta set this straight for you. This is, this is like uh, the chandeliers and stuff coming to life in Beauty of the Beast, right? Beauty of the Beast. Yeah, I get it. This is, this is be our guest.
1: I get it now. I just didn't see any of these things when I first. When I look at magic cards, I see a combination of colors, and I don't understand what's happening in the picture ever, unless I actually stop and take the time to understand what's going on. Now I have done so and I see Beauty and the Beast and the clock dancing and having a grand old time as it does the Dance of the Mance.
0: Does this increase or decrease the enjoyment that you're going to have tomorrow playing this deck?
1: Uh, Dramatically increases it.
0: Like you, you have a lot of meme potential now.
1: Yeah, well, I already made a playlist that is just songs about dancing. Well, so I guess I also have to add Be Our Guest into it, right?
0: Yeah, or you could just play the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack, whatever.
1: Beauty and the Beast is not one of my home run movies.
0: It doesn't like, like it's matter.
1: Fine. It's it a doesn't fine. It doesn't
0: matter for for the memes for the kids. Brian, the kids really enjoy memes. Yeah, so I'm they told. do. So I'm they told.
1: Do. We'll see though, because I actually think I probably shouldn't do any, because I would like to post the videos of our mm. tournament coverage to our YouTube page, and I probably shouldn't be using copyrighted music if that's the case
0: yeah i don't know our page page is small we're not gonna get flagged it'll be fine
1: okay we'll take our first strike it's worth (laughs) it in this scenario uh let's talk about this card dance of the Mance, x colorless white blue sorcery return up to x target artifact and or non-aura enchantment cards each with converted mana cost x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield if x is six or more those permanents are four four creatures in addition to their other types. So I am playing this card in combination with Doom Foretold. I'm gonna read this one too, because we also didn't talk about this. Two colorless white black enchantment at the beginning of each player's upkeep. That player sacrifices a non-land, non-token permanent. If that player can't, they discard a card, they lose two life, you draw a card, you gain two life, you create a 2-2 white knight creature with vigilance, then you sacrifice Doom Foretold. I have a bunch of eggs in my deck, two mana, draw a card, fix your mana. There's Wraths, there's Teferi, and all of this comes together to be a combination of Splinter Twin and Scapeshift. and I am so excited about this deck. We talked about how people aren't interacting whatsoever, and... Previously in Modern, one of the best positions you could find yourself in when all these decks were just ignoring each other was the deck that had the combo kill with some light interaction, with some ways of stomping out opposing aggression, and then just taking control of the game in one spot. And I think that's exactly what these Dance of the Mance decks do. I've added some more interaction from early lists I saw going around. I have Thought Erasure, which seems like just a slam dunk in the archetype, uh, both for fueling your engine and for dealing with whatever your opponent's up to. Doom Foretold answers every kind of permanent if you are appropriately restricting your opponent's resources, which you can do with your four Wrath of Gods. Actually, I have six between sideboard and main deck, but you do all this controlly stuff and then you just plus a Teferi, your opponent's end step, X equals six, return a couple Oath of Kaya, some eggs, hit your opponent for six points of burn and just swing for lethal and the game is over like that. This is exactly the style of deck I love to play. When I saw it in practice, it was extremely, extremely impressive. And I am pumped about this archetype, looking forward to playing it tomorrow.
0: I mean, it's Esper Control with Rally,
1: right? I think that's an excellent uh, way to look at it. And I mean, if I'm thinking of flaws, I think this is an adaptable, something that's fairly easy to adapt to. There's hate cards you could certainly play that will give this deck some fits, but I mean, there's probably counter adaptations. And one of the big hits here for me is a functional mana base, because we talked a lot about how the three color mana bases are a little bit below where we'd like them to be. Having all the eggs in your deck just completely negates any mana issues while fueling your engine. Yeah, I was just super impressed by this deck. And I think with a few little tweaks, I have it primed to hopefully put up a nice performance in fandom legends. So I would love to play for the first few weeks of this, uh, this new standard. It's one of the most interesting times to be involved in a tournament series like that.
0: Yeah. I, to, to the point of the mana, you have a castle Vantress and an Island alongside three fabled passage. So you, you need to play the island, right? Mm-hmm. You also have four Kaya's wraths, but you have guild globe to kind of fix that, which yep. is
1: cute, but golden egg too. golden egg fixes it as well.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, and, Yeah, just to that end, I feel like you could probably just get away with like cutting some shocklands, maybe.
1: Interesting. I I honestly didn't even consider that. What would you play more basics?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think I would cut whatever you think your worst duel is and play an additional swamp or something. I don't know.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's what I should be doing. That's interesting. Too Uh, late now. Decks have been submitted, but. Uh, I will keep that in mind over the course of the tournament. And I mean, this is an archetype that I would love to spend some time on continue refining. Uh, there are a lot of maybes that I almost played, but I, I just think the core of this is a very nice place to be for week one. Control elements mixed with a combo kill. Sounds sweet. Something we haven't had in standard in a long time.
0: Well, I mean, we have.
1: Like, Command the Dreadhorde was basically the same thing. Uh, kind of. I <laughs> I mean, maybe there's still like a turn of setup you have to go through in that scenario. And there's also the life problem. If you're low on life, that does absolutely nothing. And, you know, if you're playing with fire as a control archetype, you certainly aren't guaranteed to keep your life total high. So this does have some advantages over Command the Dreadhorde, but I do see the similarities.
0: Yeah, like we're all playing Oath of Kaya and Basilica Bellhaunt and stuff. Like, I think that is enough for mid-range stuff and then for... Like the red matchups, you just side it out command and then played a thing that they couldn't beat, like a Lyra or whatever. Sure. So I don't know. You talked about like this deck potentially being hated out, but Teferi Time Raveler just solves all the problems, right? Like what are what are you gonna run up against? Like Leyline, Line, Graft Digger's Cage, like or Cage doesn't even do anything, right? But
1: well, Doom uh, Foretold as well. Like, doom Foretold, the fact that it goes after all types of permanents is yeah. pretty impactful. And one of the reasons I was a little afraid to play Jeskai Walkers into something like Doom Foretold, like say you're on the draw and you play your three mana Planeswalker and they just slam Doom Foretold. Well, they dealt with your Planeswalker and time walked you because you're not going to play anything on your next turn because you want to crack the Doom Foretold. And if you get to a later point in the game where it's mitigating Planeswalkers and your fires eventually, I just think there's not many decks where Doom Foretold won't have a usage. One of the big fears are these huge engine cards, things like uh, the Great Henge. And now I wrath you. It comes to your turn. Your only permanent is the Great Henge. And I've effectively dealt with it with my Doom Foretold and bought more time. So I, I think this is a card that has impressed me quite a bit as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, this is that's, that's a card that I need to see get played a little bit more often because it seems like a clunker and maybe not going to accomplish a whole lot, but we'll see.
1: Well, here's the thing. I think we expect... And and I expected this card to trigger on my upkeep, like have a turn of complete inactivity. But Doomfortold goes to work right away. It's on your opponent's upkeep. It's immediately answering a thing. So if they only have one threat in turn, one threat in play, you've essentially bought two turns because they're not just going to play a second threat into your Doomfortold and have to sacrifice them the next turn. Uh, So it's a really effective tool to buy a lot of time. And then you get the trigger on top of it. Like This card just spirals out of control very, very quickly for your opponent's
0: You you talked about, you know, like them, say they play a Narset or a Teferi or whatever. You play a Doomfortold and pass. They have to sacrifice their Planeswalker. And then if they pass, you sack Doomfortold, right?
1: Uh, No, it's when it goes back to their turn, you would sacrifice Doomfortold. Like, theoretically, you have like a globe or something. Because you have to sack Doomfortold as well.
0: That's what I'm saying. Ideal, Ideal scenario is that they just pass back and kill Doomfortold. But if you played an egg or an oath of Kaya or whatever before this, then you get to keep this around still. Correct. And so you're potentially getting multiple time walks out of it. Like the thing that you would have to do from the planeswalker side is like fires into Kazmina into to make a token or something. And then maybe you just have to fight this thing, the entire game, which also no, seems no 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 tough.
1: Non-token permanent.
0: Oh word. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think that's a big part of this card. Yeah, I think. I, yeah. I think that okay. matters a lot.
0: Hmm. Well, Getting fires, a little
1: sold over there? A little bit sold? Maybe, I know you weren't thrilled about this maybe. deck choice when I told you about it.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Fires into Kazmina, make a token, then throw away Kazmina, and then try and like swarm around this thing, I guess. I don't know. It still seems tough. but
1: Yeah, you got to hope it works. And uh, like I said, I was afraid of this deck as the Jeskai deck. I did not want to play against uh, something like this. I didn't feel like it was a manageable matchup from the Jeskai side. Yeah, I also think the Esper sideboard cards are very good, too, by the way, like Disenchant, Elder Spell, Ashiok. I, I think all these cards are very reasonable right now. So
0: Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that has been very interesting to me, and I'm noticing it like looking at your sideboard, too, is, and I was going to talk about this in my article this week, is that when I first started building decks, it was like, all right, some Noxious Grass, some Devout Decrees, whatever. Mm-mm. You can't do that anymore.
1: Nope. I agree.
0: They're just like not good because the, the threats that you're worried about aren't necessarily creatures or planeswalkers. It is these artifacts.
1: Spot on. Yeah, I, I just think the threat pro- profile of the format has changed. And it's not like you have to answer Sorin anymore. Like that card's gone. So you've lost a lot of stock in your noxious grasps. And it, it's just not the same threats we were dealing with before. And I think the stock of those cards has fallen dramatically. I've included fewer and fewer copies in my sideboard as the days have gone on.
0: Yep, I'm right there with you. And I I really appreciate your sideboard because we are on the exact same page. There's not a single color hoser in your sideboard. Mhm. Yeah, that's that's it for the ups. I'm not up on this deck yet. It's within your power, right? Like you it's all up to you whether or not I think that this deck is good now.
1: Fingers crossed.
0: So, we'll see what happens. If if nothing else though, this is going to make for a good uh YouTube deck tech coming up.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely do one on this deck, and uh, I, I mean, there's so many decks we want to talk about right now, but this is an exciting one, and this will be fun. I think uh, our plan is, we may as well spoil our plans a little bit, build some hype. You're going to be on your way over to my house the next couple of days, and we're just going to grind out a bunch of videos, deck techs, you know, all kinds of interesting technology-based videos for this new format and those will start appearing on our youtube page over the next week or so so make sure you are subscribed it's just youtube.com arena deck yeah
0: and we, we have to do that giveaway to you that that should be something that we do when we're over there too
1: that is correct we are over a thousand subscribers we want to do that as like a, a live video we'll post that over on the youtube page and yeah that makes sense to watch to figure out who the winner is
0: yeah that makes sense i mean it might be like a 15 second video or whatever but i think that's sure.
1: cool yeah that's fine
0: Like, do you think you, you won? If you think so, you have to watch this video.
1: Right. Good branding. Way to, way to be a aggressive seller of our arena deckless YouTube page. It is going to be a sweet page though. We have a lot of big ideas for it and I'm excited about some new content we can offer everyone to enjoy.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the last high note.
1: Right. Things things get sour from here. It
0: is all downhill from here. So I'm, I'm going to not go in order. I'm going to start from the bottom because I think that that is a little bit more interesting. Okay. So cards that we are more down on after the streamer showcase thing than we were when it started. Number one is more of a you thing than a me thing, but I get it. And that's Vantress Gargoyle. And I will attempt to find this card and read it. It is 1U uh, Artifact 5-4 uh, Gargoyle Flying. Can't attack unless defending player has seven or more cards in their graveyard. Can't block unless you have four or more cards in hand. Tap. Each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard.
1: Okay, look, I don't have a big, long spiel about this card. All I'm going to say, I saw this card sitting on the battlefield doing absolutely nothing. Neither attacking, nor blocking, nor (laughs) milling anything all that effectively a ton. Like many, many games that came up. And it's okay to have a fail rate if the card is powerful enough. A two mana, five floor flyer, very, very powerful. But I saw this card doing nothing over and over and over. And it absolutely frightened me. Isn't that a deck error or a player error or both? Sure. It it could be. It absolutely could be. And maybe we'll solve this. And a few weeks from now, I'll be like, I was way off base on Gargoyle. But I saw enough problems to realize this is not the broad inclusion that maybe I thought it was you have to work very hard to ever get an attacker out of this or have the game go very long and I think there's just like a lot of conflicting goals in gargoyle decks right now and they don't understand their identity that's the biggest problem with them if that gets sussed out maybe this is a good card but what I saw did not impress me whatsoever
0: so this doesn't go in every deck that much is clear right so what decks do you think that this should go in or what decks what decks did you think it should go in?
1: Well, I started with cauldron decks, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that problem in a little bit.
0: We will. But so let's talk about the context of Vantress Gargoyle in those sort of cauldron decks. Sure. So you're a Demir self-mill deck that is looking mm. to set up the Cauldron of Eternity. Vantress Gargoyle is an artifact for Emery, which is relevant because you are interested in self-milling stuff. You can play things like Wall of Lost Thoughts or Murfolk Secret Keeper. But one well, this this deck has several issues, right? One of them is that you expend all of these resources to like self-mill yourself, and then you need to have either an emery that's active or a cauldron of eternity. Otherwise, right. you're not accomplishing a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. And hard casting things like Agent of Treachery is very, very difficult. So In that sort of deck, I can definitely imagine situations where you're not going to have four or more cards in your hand.
1: Spot on. You spent all these resources to mill yourself, which you have to do, but all of a sudden you've fallen below the threshold and you can't block anymore.
0: So what if we try to, if the problem is this thing hasn't blocked, right? Eric can't block and we need it as a blocker, right? Like we need one more turn. Why do we not just look at the enablers that we're playing. Like, do we need eight Wall of Lost Thoughts or whatever? Probably not. So is there something that keeps cards in our hands while maybe accomplishing the same thing? If that involves like going to a different color and playing like Moddy Reveler or something like that, like some sort of filtering that is like kind of card neutral, I would understand mm. that.
1: Thrill of Possibility comes to mind. Like that's a card that juices yeah. the graveyard a little bit. Uh, that's an interesting take. I think the the big problem, though, is that a lot I, – I mean, basically all of my Vantress Gargoyle builds were in combination with Cauldron. And if you're going to make Cauldron effective, you certainly have to go hard into your graveyard because you need it to be very cheap very quickly because that life cost is real. And if you're <laughs> waiting too long to establish a Cauldron game, you're basically dead. And I, Cauldron decks were by far the least impressive thing I saw – Out of these big engines that we're talking about, they just never got anything done and they got ran over repeatedly.
0: Right. I mean, certainly having a two mana five four blocker would help. So if you mitigate that problem, I think that solves a little bit of it. Uh, I do agree that the decks, the way that they are built, have to go all in on Cauldron. And then it's it's like the turn three Tron thing in modern, right? Where it's like, yeah, once upon a time increases the rate at which people turn three Tron, but very clearly Tron's win percentage lets you know that turn three Tron isn't even beating that many people. And right. it's, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, we're going all in on Cauldron. We did it. We did our thing. We assembled Cauldron and we just lose anyway. So either we should not be going all in on Cauldron or... When We do go all in on cauldron, we have to make it so we actually win the game, and none of that really is gargoyle's fault. I still think that if you are trying to do cauldrony things, gargoyle is a good part of that.
1: Yeah, I maybe you're just not supposed to do cauldrony things, maybe your reanimator setups are supposed to be blood for bones, and you're getting back your bone crusher giants and your murderous riders, hopefully, that you've milled with Emery and Ventress gargoyle and now your mana base is a wreck and you can't play Fabled Passage because you're milling yourself all the time and eventually your Fabled Passages get turned off. I don't know. There's a lot of problems to overcome. I I think the idea of moving away from Cauldron and still doing some kind of graveyard shenanigan is very appealing to me. I really like the rebuying of the adventure cards with Blood for Bones. I think that's a super cool interaction and a little bit underappreciated right now. I would have to think about how I make a Grixis mana base like that work, or do I even need to play Emery and Gargoyle at that point, or am I just stretching for no reason? It kind of sounds like I'm stretching for no reason in this case. So Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of good Grixis stuff, right? Like you have you have
0: Reveler, uh, there's, there's Tonebound Witch that we haven't really been playing because it costs three mana, but like that's another fine card. And then uh, between... Reveler and Tonebound Witch, if you want to do things with like the, the cow that you discard to make a food, that's another thing that you can include. I haven't really figured out what exactly you're supposed to be doing with that, but it could be like Cauldron Familiar Witch's Oven, and then you just have a couple random like Feasting Troll Kings or something.
1: Yeah, uh, cow's an interesting card, right? Like it's, it's very rare you can create resources from nothing. And cow does that. I'm not sure that it's all that meaningful, but that's a card I would like to explore more and understand more about. I don't know. All, all this stuff can come together in some fashion. It all feels inherently powerful. It just, I keep saying this over and over as I talk about decks with people. If everything's broken, nothing's broken. Yeah. And you keep finding a lot of broken interactions. So uh, this is like broken light, and broken light doesn't feel good enough right now. So. It needs to find some other way to get immediate value, and then I can start getting on board. But for right now, just not seeing it.
0: Yeah. So part of my problem with Cauldron of Eternity is that it's very slow, requires very specific cards that are not necessarily good on their own, whereas cards or decks that are playing the Great Hand or Fires of Invention, it's like if they don't draw their engine card, they're still fine decks. Still they're functional deck. decks. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're jumping through all these hoops, the Cauldron of Eternity, and it's not even better than the Great Hinge.
1: Agree. I, I totally agree with you. And I'm not willing to jump through the hoops right now. Someone's got to prove to me it's worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to work on it because it's an interesting puzzle and I want to solve it. But one, one of the, the first builds that I put Vantress Gargoyle in was like the Gilded Goose, Oko, Feasting Troll King. Like, okay, I guess if we have gargoyle that's another artifact so we can play emery and since we have Vantress gargoyle and feasting troll king and emery then we want an artifact and great hinge is pretty good with those other cards because they have a high power Mm. and blue green doing basically better stuff than what the blue black decks are doing is probably where you want to be assuming you want to do gargoyle emery things
1: yeah i can buy that i i mean i worked on that deck a bit and also found it a bit underwhelming and maybe we're getting ready to transition to talking about that now, but it does seem more inherently powerful than trying to do Cauldron type things.
0: Yeah, I I think it's just much easier too.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense.
0: Like Great Henge works with Gargoyle to the point where you have cards in your hand, so it can still block. And I mean, just through playing magic, your opponent will eventually have seven cards in their graveyard. Obviously Gargoyle helps with that. In the Demir decks, you can hit them with Wall of Lost Thoughts or Merfolk Secret Keeper to kind of turn that on. But realistically, like Gargoyle is the only thing that you have that can really attack them. So it's like, oh, no, I'm getting attacked for five. I'll go down to five and then kill this thing. And then it's not really a big deal. But if you're playing green-blue and, you know, maybe you have Questing Beast in your deck or something else that actually pressures them and then each threat is actually relevant. So I, I think that that is a stronger way to go about things. Cauldron of Eternity... I I want it to be good so bad. I think that there's a way to utilize it that doesn't go all in basically with all the wall of lost thoughts and stuff. And I will be working on that, but I don't know where it is.
1: Yeah, maybe there's just fair applications. Like maybe I'm supposed to be playing it as a sideboard card in my mono black deck and just, I will get five creatures in the graveyard by virtue of playing the game. And then I get rebuys on all of them for the rest of the game. I have a ton of life gains stocked into my deck. This actually sounds pretty appealing to me. Uh, more than just playing a bunch of terrible cards. And maybe that's the angle I've been looking for in this mono black deck. I want to check that out now.
0: Yeah, I mean, say you get Wrathed, right? Or they kill your first few things and your turn five is just Cauldron, bring back Rankle, like hit you, you know? Sounds pretty good. Yeah, you have two things that they have to kill. I think that that is basically where you want to be, not Wall of Lost Thoughts because those cards are just very bad, very mopey. right. All right, last thing, and this is this is going to maybe be a bummer, and I'm sorry. If you're having kind of a bad day, maybe you don't want to listen to this because this is going to make a lot of people upset. The whole food stuff, man, I, I think it's good. I still think it's very impressive. I am building decks with Oko, but all the stuff that people were doing was just a giant disappointment.
1: The beans are, in fact, not magic and If I see one more magic bean deck, I I think my head might explode. None of this feels all that good to me. You're jumping through a lot of hoops to play like your turn three, seven, seven, six. And uh, there exists a card where it's just a turn three, seven, six. Like you can just play Rotting Regisaur and you don't have to do all this other nonsense where you're throwing magic beans onto the battlefield. I get that you expect these things to chain with each other and get a whole engine going. Like we said, there are very powerful engines in Standard. This one seems less powerful than the other ones, and it seems like a lot more setup, a lot more bad cards. The Feasting Troll King, it's just not doing anything for me right now. Every deck I've put together has been underwhelming. So like, I get that I'm calling another free card underwhelming, and at some point someone might just tear this card in half, and I'm not disqualifying that as a possibility. I'm just saying no Feasting Troll King list I have seen thus far is good. They need work. And maybe you can do the work and make it reasonable, but right now it's not there.
0: Well, part of the problem is that these decks were built around just jamming a 7-6. And we kind of talked about this with Questing Beast, but like Vigilance is very good, right? Like you getting to race with this card is relevant in some matchups, but a very quick 7-6 is just not good enough a lot of the time. You need to be doing other
1: stuff. I totally agree with you. I know that I I saw someone in our Discord posting about trying to set this up with Crashing Drawbridge, which is two colorless defender 4 creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Weird. And certainly not a card I expected to really see any standard play, but giving your creatures haste is a powerful, powerful ability. And there's often been combos where like, oh, if only I had some way to give my creatures haste, maybe it's crashing drawbridge. I don't know. I didn't expect it to be, but I, I get why this might be a necessity for a deck like this. And steps like that are preventing me from just completely disqualifying this archetype. I think there's a lot of things to look into still. Uh, I like the problems you're trying to solve with something like Crashing Drawbridge, but that's a bad magic card. And now we're back to like, the wall of lost thoughts problem where you're playing yes. all these cards. And we've already got magic beans in our deck. So like, I, I, maybe this particular list doesn't have magic beans, but a lot of lists do. And uh, if if that's the case, things have gotten a little sour already. I don't know. It just feels like this is the wrong food synergy to focus on. There are some good ones out there and like food as a mechanic is interesting, but this has not been the one that sold me on it.
0: Yeah, I I really think that moving away from turbo feasting troll is probably the way to go and certainly goose into Oko is very strong, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: No one one is really going to dispute that.
1: Yeah, Oko on the battlefield on turn two is silly. It's a silly, silly magic card.
0: But what else do you do with that? And I, I think it's completely fine to just build it, you know, with a couple feasting trolls, some wicked wolves. Uh, you can do witches Oven stuff or not, probably not. And uh, for the people who are trying to do the turbo combo-y stuff, Trail of Crumbs is probably what you want because it allows you to keep going. And I saw so many games where it's just like the troll gets dealt with and eventually you run out of gas and you just lose. Right. But it's, it's just very much a situation where there are a lot of Nexus of fate esque engines and you're doing the, I don't know, like smaller. Yeah. Like the command, the dread horde or field of the dead thing. And if Nexus is prevalent, you just can't do that stuff. The troll king is exactly that. So if you want to build, uh, Simic deck or three color deck, whatever, and have this be kind of like the Tempo Weed Disruption deck, I think that is a much better spot for Gilded Goose and Oko to live.
1: One of the pieces of deck building device I feel like I've given out the most over the last few months is never allow yourself to be the smaller mid-range deck. Like, make sure your end game can keep pace. And you're exactly right. This feels like you're setting yourself up to be the smaller mid-range deck. Like, you could have just played the Great Henge and played 10 creatures on one turn. But instead, you used Magic Beans to make a 7-6 and didn't accomplish all that much. So this engine needs to improve. Trail of Crumbs is a card I also really like. Uh, Maybe that's the first step to making this a little bit more impactful. But like I said, as it stands right now, I'm not impressed by these decks.
0: Yeah, I, the, the pieces are there for something, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly where to go with it. And it's not quite as in-your-face as Fires of Invention or doesn't work with exactly everything like the Great Henge does. So mm-hmm. it's a little tougher. Yep. But, I mean, there are going to be Oko decks. They're going to be good. Uh, in the vein of Jeskai Planeswalkers, I've started looking at, like, Teamer Planeswalkers yep. and Bant. And stuff like that, and Oko is definitely in those decks.
1: What do you think about Oko plus Hero of Precinct one?
0: I think that's fine. It's just so Esper last season had a very specific like subset of cards that were actually good in the metagame, you know? Like you mm-hmm. ha- especially once we had Tyrant Scorn, we had good early removal, we had Disruption and Thought Erasure. We had life gain with Othokai and Basilica Bell haunt, And then you had a good end game with Bulls of Citadel or Command the Dreadhorde. And now people are just like, oh, hero and some gold cards. That's a deck, right? And it's not.
1: Yeah, one of the flaws with Bant is that it doesn't really interact with your opponent in any meaningful way. And we talked about how dangerous that is at this stage. Uh, you're lacking the thought erasures. Like, maybe you could go hard on Dovin's Veto, but... Your opponent ever plays a Teferi, we know what that does to you. Like, that feels just absolutely miserable. Uh, I don't think you could realistically do all this stuff with, like, Mystic Snake. There's no real way to make that mana work unless you play, like, the eight duels, four Fabled Passage, and just a single Plains. Then you have 13 White Sources. Maybe that's tolerable and you could still be a Mystic Snake deck. I would look at that. I think that's an interesting experiment. But on the whole, all this stuff is very scary when. Teferi is still a very real, very good card, uh, and I wouldn't be quick to dismiss it.
0: Well, Flower Flourish is a thing that you can play, but when you're leaning on that to find your white source, then Frilled Mystic is almost certainly going to be a five-mana card, which is not good enough. No, it's not. Yeah, I mean, there are ways around it. Like, you could also just try and play Gilded Goose and have that fix your problems, but, like, you have Goose plus Oko and then not a lot of other food things that you want to play. Right. So... It it is awkward but man deck building for this season has been really fun and I and like not even frustrating but it is hard to finish off a lot of these decks that I've built it's just like I know at some point I'm going to find the right piece to this missing puzzle you know
1: Yeah a lot of half completed decks and things that I have as pins I have this list of it, it's a really raw form list of just ideas. And it had. I, when I was on a plane, when the full spoiler came out and I just sat the entire plane where I just like, at some point, explore this, at some point, explore this basically on a card by card basis. And I've never had a list this long for any set. There's so many things that are at least worth looking into that are kind of surprising. Like mono white aggro has no real cards that really point you in that direction. Like there's not the Legion's Landing or the uh, history of banalia that we had previously but if you actually look at the way these cards interact with each other i think there's probably a reasonable mono white deck out there maybe multiple reasonable mono white decks and that's not something you would think in seeing where the power lies in the set so uh yeah. surprising stuff keeps coming up
0: yeah i mean there there's some old holdovers like venerated loxodon where you're like eh, okay mm-hmm. maybe you know yeah yeah, mono-white specifically, I don't know. that That is definitely a, a blind spot for me. You know, I saw some people doing some stuff like mono-white artifacts, basically, and then playing some adamant stuff. And then I saw some people playing okay. like the giant killers and in kind of a white yep. weenie-ish deck, but for yep. the most part, haven't really explored it. And I've had that happen for basically every preview season, you know? And like I said earlier, like that is that is just a flaw. That's a leak. And I got to work on that.
1: Yeah, we all have holes. We all have holes that we uh, pass on. And like I said, I made this list. I haven't built them on a white deck, though. Like, I know I should look into it, but there's only so many things you can do, right? (laughs) You run out of time at some point.
0: Yeah. Overall, though, I mean, the the streamer showcase event had some issues as far as how much stock we can put into it for is this what standard is going to look like going forward and everything. But regardless getting to see the cards in play and everyone building these crazy decks around all these weird engines. And like you said, man, everyone just having fun. This, this has been good. And I'm, I'm going to Philly. I'm going to battle in that tournament and I'm looking forward to it.
1: That's super exciting news. I will also be in Philadelphia. First time, both you and I will be in attendance at an SCG tournament in a very long time.
0: Yeah. And I don't know uh, when the last time was that we were on opposite sides. Right. You, you, well, I guess probably never. Really,
1: like I don't you, think so. One of us yeah, doing commentary, the other one playing. I suppose it's theoretically possible, but I, I don't recall it ever happening. I guess that means I will try not to be too critical of you if you come in my purview oh, and I have dude. to commentate on your match.
0: I'm I'm playing around this hard. I'm playing I'm playing <laughs> the legacy seat, so you don't have to do commentary on me at all.
1: Uh yeah. It seems unlikely. I would assume our focus will be squarely on the standard metagame. But, you know, there's always the chance that your standard seat could finish nice and early and we move over to your match.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about that, actually, where the deck that I've been playing the most lately is uh, Zorius Con- Control Splash, a third color. And okay. if that's the case, my deck is literally killing people with one ones and two ones. So uh, it, it we could just be the last match to finish, you know.
1: <laughs> so are you playing like the, the mentor list?
0: No, nah, mentor sucks, man. Those, those okay. creatures are too big. And the other three three drops are just much better. Like, Zach Allen's list had two Teferi, two Narset. I'm just going hard on those as three drops. And uh, either splashing Strix or Ice Fang Quaddle And then just killing people with some Snapcasters in those.
1: Any interest in the new land, Mystic Sanctuary?
0: I don't think so, because I'm not playing Terminus.
1: I I mean... Do you want to consider playing Terminus? I, th- no, I think no. it's more. I think, I think it's way more of a modern thing than a legacy thing, but I do think it's something that should be considered.
0: Yeah, so I I would play like you know one in sneak and show or whatever. Probably that seems okay to me. Mm. But for for where the legacy format is now, I have determined that spot removal is much much better than sweepers. There are not a ton of decks going wide. And it is very much like Protect the Queen with a lot of these decks. It's like, I'm going to put a Death Shadow into play or a Dreadhorde Arcanist or whatever and just do everything in my power to protect it. So the sweepers have just been bad.
1: I just want to point out that I have successfully tricked you into speaking about Legacy for a little while on this podcast, and it comes at a good time. Dude, I love Legacy. I do. Me too. It was just announced today, Jerry, that I will be playing in the Legacy Premier League so I will certainly be doing some thinking about legacy going forward. Legacy is my favorite format. I don't want to make any promises. Maybe a bonus episode about legacy when we get close to time for my matches. Dude, I, I, I think am the in. People would be in. I yeah, am
0: I in. It will be our least listened to episode of
1: oh, all time. 100%. 100%. Yep.
0: The the premise would be like, okay, you're playing in this legacy thing. I would like to talk to you about legacy because I've actually been playing a lot on Magic Online and I have a lot of ideas. And we could just talk about them and record that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal podcast, you know?
1: We, we can definitely do that. I think my match is in, I think I play the third week of matches. So we're still a ways off right now. We have some time, but I think the legacy bonus episode is a really nice idea.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that, but it should maybe be like a bonus bonus app.
1: A double bonus? That's a, how far we have to go to talk about legacy?
0: Or a YouTube video or something.
1: Oh, uh, maybe. Okay. Okay. That might be the way to do it. Maybe we'll go on YouTube and talk about it. That sounds fine. We'll we'll
0: stream on YouTube. Yeah, I like that. Talk Legacy. No, we're not streaming on
1: YouTube. Well, we can do both. We can, we can stream on all the platforms. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll figure it out. You don't worry about it. You just show up and say words. I'll make sure our videos get to the right place.
0: I love talking about magic, man. I'll I'll talk about magic for certainly like two hours at a time. Uh, at basically any point, you know?
1: Yeah, well, we've proven that uh, for about two years straight now, so.
0: Hell yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this episode, I believe. And uh, every week we solicit the fine folks in our Discord for questions. Uh, We did it a little late this week, but that's okay. And then we will pick a question we like, answer that, and the, the person we pick is going to get a nice Arena necklace pin. Only... To be gotten through this little thing here and do we have a question that we like brian
1: of course we do this week's question comes to us from nate jl and nate jl asks one month into stoneforge mystic and modern so far do you think it's busted very good playable or unplayable or somewhere in between those very multitudinous options and i like answering this question because now we've covered standard legacy and modern on this podcast, Jerry, it's time to give us your review on Stoneforge Mystic.
0: Well, we got to talk about vintage too and Popper,
1: historic. Uh, no. Nope, not doing any of those things. Canadian Highlander. Nope. I, yeah. I know you're. I know you're serious about that one. No. I'm
0: chomping at the bit for some Canadian Highlander di- discussion. But yeah,
1: there's it was a sweet format. You you kind of sold me on it.
0: Uh, well, you you have like all the cards on Moto, right? Maybe I need to build a, a deck on Moto and we can jam on there.
1: No, I I have unloaded much of my moto collection over time
0: Ah, uh, damn it all right well yeah. i'm sure that you can you know buy 40 cards for your canadian Highlander deck anyway uh stoneforge mystic i still really still really like a lot there have been instances of ptqs and stuff like that where the deck does very well or the card does very well i've i've done well with it myself i know that at least one ptq was won by a person playing my Zoria stoneforge list And I I don't know, man, I feel like the ceiling is high on it. Like if you did not play in the Cobblade era, I think for for some reason, like, you know, people are not used to playing with those strategies. And I I guess like there's kind of a checklist. It's like maybe you played miracle Grow way back in the day. Maybe you played Merfolk at some point. Maybe you played any of the Delver decks or Cobblade or whatever, but like you need that specific tempo skill set to be able to play my Stoneforge deck, I think. And that is something that I did not give enough credence to. And it became more apparent when people were like, well, your list is okay, but I'm going to cut these cards for Wrath of Gods, or I'm going to cut these cards for Cryptic Commands. And it's like, no, what are you doing? That's not what this deck is. It's a tempo deck.
1: Yeah, maybe a bit of a learning curve behind these Stoneforge decks. My take is that it's a good inclusion for modern. I didn't have a strong opinion about Stoneforge coming off the list. I didn't think it was the right way to deal with the format, the right way to move it forward. But at least presently, it's created an interesting dynamic where things have very much focused on the artifact subtype. And that has allowed some other decks to gain some metagame share and having a focal point for the format is useful, I believe. You, you need a guide pole and it, it's really hard to prepare for a modern tournament in the absence of anything. Previously, it was graveyards. That's not a good focal point. That's no. actually a really problematic focal point. Artifacts is a little bit better. It's a step in the right direction. But, I mean, I, I don't I don't think Stoneforge has thrown anything out of whack. I don't think it has a clear edge over other strategies. I think Urza is just still the best deck. I will keep saying that over and over. Hopefully, at some point, all of you listening will just start playing it. Uh, nothing has changed my opinion on that matter. I think the Paradoxical Outcome Urza decks are very interesting and more potentially mind territory. And that looks more like a broken vintage deck than anything else. And Mox Opal continues to be a problematic card and... All this stuff working together pushes the focus hard on artifacts, but that seems like a good thing for the time being. Maybe at some point they'll have to be taken down a peg, but I don't know what the vacuum, like I don't know what fills the vacuum in that spot, and it could be way worse. Uh, it's interesting that this is all happening at a time where Eldraine is about to get thrown into the mix, and two super impactful cards in Eldraine, maybe three. I think the slam dunk is once upon a time and a whole bunch of decks are going to get a lot more consistent. I think the other one is Emery, which only further serves to advance some of these artifact strategies. I think the card is very strong in multiple existing archetypes and creates new archetypes. And then the third one, I I am interested in Mystic Sanctuary. It's possible that it's a really big get for control. Uh, Maybe a really big get for Stoneforge-based control. We'll have to see which direction control takes at this point. Presently, my control decks are not playing stoneforge i think that's kind of a mistake it's not a control
0: card it's a tempo card
1: right i i tend to agree with you and despite people continually playing it uh in contravention of that take i do think it's at its best as a tempo card and my list in my article this week was just a blue white control list looked a lot like old blue white control list except now you have this recursive engine in your mystic sanctuary so I want to see if that matters, but Modern on the whole seems to be in a decent place right now, and we'll have to see how this next set of changes shakes things up, and if things kind of hold their course, or if something gets pushed out of whack.
0: Yeah, uh, basically to answer the question, since I didn't really do that before, I think that Stoneforge is a fine inclusion to Modern. The only thing that I don't like about it is that it becomes the identity of White uh, for you know, 75% of cases or whatever, Mm -hmm. which is not great. But at the same time, white was almost certainly the least represented color in modern for a very long time. I mean, they had path to exile, some sideboard cards and that was kind of it. And if you really wanted those sideboard cards, that's kind of when you turn to white decks and that's not a really good place to be. So at least you have something to do, which is good. You have a, a reason like a proactive reason to actually want to play white in your decks. And it's also a card that works well with things like Spell Queller, which is a card that was playable, like fringe playable, but didn't really have a good home. And now it has a great two drop to go along with it. So it also props up some of the other white cards that we're not seeing a ton of play, which is good, but I, I don't want to uh, homogenize the color But for now, I think that's a fine place to be. And I've certainly enjoyed my time playing with Stoneforge Mystic. So very few things in life feel as good as connecting with Sword of Feast and Famine. I'm a simple Mm. man.
1: I, I agree totally. That's a very satisfying triggered ability. I think all the swords are quite satisfying for the most part, but none as satisfying as Sword of Feast and Famine. I have had a good time with Stoneforge as well homogenization is better than no play whatsoever basically yes and long term there's got to be a better solution for white but uh i think this is okay for the time being and like you said the main thing is i've enjoyed the games i played some stoneforge mirrors that i was like wow this like felt like legacy for a moment like, that was really interesting stuff we as, just went through
0: <laughs> as long as teferi time revelers not involved the games are fun
1: Yeah, to te, teferi simplifies things a little bit teferi, a little bit of hearthstone time oh my god teferi sucks so much <laughs> <laughs> no disagreement here. Only a year left of Teferi time. That's it. In standard, no, no, and not in we'll modern
0: man. It's just there.
1: Yeah, Teferi forever.
0: And you can't make a case for banning Teferi because it's mildly annoying uh when there's crap like Bull So uh, I don't right. I don't think that card's going anywhere.
1: No, it's it's probably not. Settle in.
0: Yeah. So uh Stoneforge is at the very least less annoying than teferi is. <laughs>
1: If, okay, that that's its qualifier.
0: Yeah, if if that uh helps you nail down exactly where I stand on things. Uh, okay, Connor, you can introduce a honking noise right here. <coughs> and that's game. Honk <coughs> honk.
1: Fuck!